Welcome to the study of God's Word, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, let's open our Bibles and study God's Word. Amen. If you would open up to Jeremiah chapter 42, we'll be in Jeremiah chapter 42 tonight. Uh, for those of you who don't or are not familiar with Jeremiah, I'll give you some background. Uh, if you were to look at this as a movie, we're kind of towards the end of the movie. So I'm going to give you some key points that happened to get us to this point in chapter 42. Um, some background on Jeremiah the prophet. He was called at a young age. Many believe he was 20 years old when he was called into the ministry. His ministry was to come in and rebuke the kings and the people of Israel and Judah. They were in active rebellion against the Lord. He was here to call them to a place of repentance. Uh, we'll find out here in chapter 42 that Jerusalem decided not to repent. And in chapter 39, the Lord had brought destruction to the city of Jerusalem through the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. Uh, Jeremiah was at the time in a cistern, which was a place where they held a lot of water. He was uh, being punished for speaking out to the ruling authorities of the day. Uh, he was freed when the Babylonians came and destroyed Jerusalem. They pulled him out of that cistern. He is much older now. He is not a young man. He is well learned in the ways of speaking uh, the word of God, being that oracle where people would say, Jeremiah, what does the Lord have to say? He's also well known for being someone who would rebuke you if you were in sin. Uh, he has this reputation about him. Jerusalem is now destroyed. Uh, we're moving forward in chapter 41. There's a new governor in the land. His name is Gedaliah. He was put in charge by Nebuchadnezzar as a puppet government. Uh, they were the ones who were running uh, the area of Israel and Jerusalem at the time. Gedaliah gets overthrown in chapter 39 by a man. Uh, he goes by the name of Ishmael. Ishmael comes in and he massacres the leadership that Babylon had put in place. Out of fear, he takes the remnant of Israel that's left after the leadership is destroyed, and he decides he's going to take a run for it to the land of Ammon, or the land of the Ammonites. On his way there, he is stopped by what I like the NLT, it's, they describes Johanan as a guerrilla leader, a guerrilla war fighter. He's stopped by this guy by the name of Johanan. He, uh, and Ishmael is now confronted with a choice, what is he going to do? He ends up running away to Ammon, leaves all this people with this new guy named Johanan. Johanan now is at a place where he has this large remnant. The man that he had just taken this remnant from has caused an atrocity to the ruling government of Babylon. So Nebuchadnezzar, he knows he's going to be coming to bring punishment and destruction to those who are rebelling against his authority. So Johanan and company devise a plan in chapter 41, verse 17. You know what? I think we should run to Egypt. There's no wars going on in Egypt. There's no famine going on in Egypt. We can get away from this. We don't have to suffer for Ishmael's problems. But they said, before we go, before we take our step to Egypt, let's go see what God has to say. And so if you would look with me at chapter 42 of Jeremiah, that's where we're going to pick up. Johanan and this remnant come to Jeremiah and are willingly and desiring to hear from the Lord. Let me get there with you. Chapter 42 starting in verse 1. It says, Now all the captains of the forces, Johanan the son of Korea, Jezaniah the son of Hoshaiah, and all the people from the least to the greatest came near, and said to Jeremiah the prophet, Please let our petition be acceptable to you, and pray for us to the Lord your God for all this remnant, since we are left but a few of many, as you can see. 
that the Lord your God may show us the way in which we should walk and the thing we should do. Then Jeremiah in verse 4, the prophet said to them, I have heard indeed. I will pray to the Lord your God according to your words, and it shall be that whatever the Lord answers you, I will declare it to you. I will keep nothing back from you. So they said to Jeremiah, let the Lord be a true and faithful witness between us. If we do not do according to everything which the Lord your God sends us by you, whether it is pleasing or displeasing, we will obey the voice of the Lord our God to whom we send you, that it may be well with us when we obey the voice of the Lord our God. And in verse 7, and it happened after 10 days that the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. So we're going to pause there real quick and we're going to break these verses down. One, what they're doing is a good thing. I would agree with their decision to see what the Lord has to say. Now, I want to paint this picture because we kind of rushed through the the background setting, but imagine a remnant of people who were not guilty of overthrowing the government. They instead were captives of the man who did, Ishmael. Ishmael overthrows this puppet government and he books it and he tries to take the people with him. Another man by the name of Johanan comes up. He says, hey, You guys don't have to leave with him. Come back. We'll go back to Judah. They decide not to. We're not going to go with Ishmael. He escapes. He runs to Ammon. Now you have this group of people from leader to leader. They had just witnessed the massacre of their city of Jerusalem in chapter 39 by the hand of Babylon. They were just uh, now put under the leadership of a radical named Ishmael. And then they were shown that there's another way by the man of Johanan. I don't know about you, but that's a lot of change of leadership in just three chapters. That's a lot of crisis. You know, they they now know that the king of Babylon, who had just conquered them, is going to come back to bring judgment upon this rebelling circle. And the guy who deserves this judgment is gone, along with eight men, who are most likely his leadership team. And here they are. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? We're innocent. You know, first we survived the first attack on Jerusalem. Then we get uh, led by this man who comes and takes over the ruling government, which we were fine with because Gedaliah was one of their own. He, was, he had a lineage in Israel. He was a local governor. He was still a puppet, still under the control of Nebuchadnezzar, but everything was at least peaceful. They were okay. Ishmael comes on the scene. He says no, massacres the leading, uh, the, Neve- the Babylonian leadership that's put in place. They book it to Ammon, they get stopped, now they're back in Judah, and they're stuck. Really with no control over the situation. It's a, it's a time of crisis, it's a time of fear, it's a time of anxiety. What they're doing is the right thing. They decide, hey, before we leave to Egypt, let's see what the Lord has to say about our situation. And that's where we pick up in chapter 42. They look and they say, hey, let's go to Jeremiah the prophet. He's well learned. And like many of us, I want to encourage us, I think we can all say it's and agree with their decision. It's good to see what the Lord might have to say. And if you don't agree with that, I hope by the end of this message you will. In Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, we know it's a very popular verse. It's one that we use here in the church quite often, but it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him that he may direct your paths. They're fulfilling that example here by going to Jeremiah and saying, hey, let's find out what the Lord says. That's a good thing. It's an honorable thing. And I think for us, it's a good reminder that when we're in those times of crisis and anxiety and emotions are high, we have a decision to make. Are we just going to go with the first thing that comes to mind? Are we just going to go to Egypt? That was their plan. Or are we going to wait on the Lord? 
And we see in verse 7 that this answer didn't come right away. It took 10 days for the Lord to speak to Jeremiah. 10 days is a long time when you're in a place of, we just overthrew the ruling government of the king who just destroyed our city and murdered our family members. You know, 10 days is a long time to wait. Yet we see here that they were willing to go to Jeremiah and say, Jeremiah, what does the Lord have to say about this in our lives? And for you and I, I pray that that's our first step. Why? Because our ways are not as good as the Lord's ways for our life. And you're like, I know all this stuff. This is all basic information. It is. But it's so important for us to understand and be reminded because we're so forgetful. And when emotions are high and when things are in in heightened mode of this crisis situation, we don't tend to think straight. We're human. The Bible tells us, you know, we're, we're just dust. That's something that we know. However, in this situation, they have a leader named Johanan that says, hey, there's still a prophet in the land. Let's go see what the Lord might have to say. And I pray that's what we do when we come in these times of crisis. Not only that, pick up with me in verse 4. How does Jeremiah respond to this? He says, Then Jeremiah the prophet said to them, I have heard indeed. I will pray to the Lord your God according to your words. And it shall be that whatever the Lord answers you, I will declare it to you, and I will keep nothing back from you. I love that because for me it reminded me and it challenges me. As I do these studies, I'm not just here to to tell you what's going on. I apply it to my own life before I ever get on stage to speak it to you. And I had asked myself the question, am I a Jeremiah in my time? Like, am I the type of guy who's willing to share the truth of God with people that come up and ask it? And I took it a step farther. Am I the type of guy that represents the Lord well enough to where people are comfortable coming to me and saying, hey, I see your life and I know you're connected to God. I'm in this time of crisis. I'm in this time of fear. What does God want me to do? What do you think? God wants me to do. I see your life. You're an example. And for us as believers, we're called to that. We're called to represent the Lord. We're called to represent Jesus. We're called to represent this lifestyle that in the same way Jesus was able to minister to the people of his day, we need to be the church and be able to minister as Jesus would in our day. And that was convicting. So I asked myself, am I putting myself in a position that is able to be first reached? Are people able to ask me? And one, am I someone who can confidently say, I will give you the right answer? Not because I have the best opinion in the world, which we can all agree that our plans, again, are not the best plans. Our thoughts are not the best thoughts. But because I'm spending enough time in God's word, I'm developing that relationship with the one God who does know it all, who knows not only the plans for my life, but for the person that's asking me the question. For Jeremiah, he was able to confidently say, I have a relationship with the Lord, and I can tell you exactly what he's going to want to tell you. I can tell you without holding anything back. And for us, that's a challenge as believers. Are we the type of believers that are, one, able to be approached, and two, have an answer that's not just our opinion, but truly the word of the Lord coming through our voice, coming through our words? You're like, well, no, that's, that's for, our, for you, pastor. You know, that's for you up on the, I bring my friends here so they can hear it from you. And I'm going to tell you right now, we're the church. We represent Jesus where we're at, whether it's your family members, whether it's your workplace, whether it's the gas station, you are a vessel for the Lord to pour out his love, his care, and his compassion to this lost and dying world. That's what we're called to do. Jeremiah confidently says, I can do that. I can seek the Lord and I can get you your answer. Now, what I'm going to point out and kind of emphasize here is in verse 5 and 6, and how bold they are to say what they say, because I kind of want the same heart. 
Pick up with me in verse 5. It says, So they said to Jeremiah, Let the Lord be a true and faithful witness between us. If we do not do according to everything which the Lord your God sends us by you, whether it is pleasing, and this is the kicker, or displeasing, we will obey the voice of the Lord our God to whom we send you, that it may be well with us when we obey the voice of the Lord our God. Now that's bold. You know, they said, no matter what he tells you, we're going to obey. No matter if we agree with it or if we disagree with it, we're in a place where we want to obey whatever the Lord tells you. Now that is a big, open invitation for God to do some radical challenging in your faith life. For these people, he was, he was going to get ready to tell them two things, and we're going to pick up that later in the chapter, but two things were coming, and they all started with an if. If you do this, this will happen. If you do this, this will happen. Now you get to choose. For Jeremiah, he takes this, he hears them, he said, okay, I mean, if I heard that, if you guys came up to me, I just want to do whatever the Lord is calling me to do. Whatever he tells you to tell me, I'm going to do. I mean, that takes the pressure off of me. Okay, I'm going to seek the Lord. I'm just going to tell you. You're going to receive it. Everything's going to be good. There's not going to be any type of struggle here. You know, this is awesome. What a counseling session. This isn't a counseling session. This is just, here you go. Go live your life according to Christ. This is what he tells you, no matter how hard the word is. That's pretty much what they're telling Jeremiah. Jeremiah goes in verse 7, and he seeks the Lord. After 10 days, this answer comes back. Pick up with me in verse 8. Then he called Johanan the son of Korea and all the captains of the forces which were with him and all the people from the least even to the greatest and said to them, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, to whom you sent me to present your petition before him. And here's verse 10. If you will still remain in this land, then I will build you and not pull you down. I will plant you and not pluck you up. For I relent concerning the disaster that I have brought upon you. Do not be afraid of the king of Babylon, of whom you are afraid. Do not be afraid of him, says the Lord, for I am with you to save you and to deliver you from his hand. And I will show you mercy, that he may have mercy on you and cause you to return to your own land. And we'll pause right there. And what an encouraging answer. You know, again, remember the scene. You're in a time of crisis, fearing for your life, You've witnessed some crazy atrocities just a couple chapters before. You're wondering what the Lord is going to tell you. And the first thing he tells you through the prophet Jeremiah is, hey, if you stick around, I'm going to build you, I'm going to plant you, I'm going to save you, and I'm going to deliver you. I mean, that's just amazing. I titled in my notes, the benefits of obedience. The benefits of obedience. Because there are benefits to obedience. There are things that come from the Lord that will encourage you and bless you in your obedience. For them, the simple command was this, stay. I say simple, but I don't mean it. That's not a simple command from their point of view. Remember, their hearts were set to go to Egypt. That was their first step in plan. They were like, we need to run. We need to get out of here. Nebuchadnezzar's coming back, and he's not only going to destroy us, he's going to wipe us out for messing up his puppet government even though we're not even to blame. It was the guy Ishmael who's gone in Ammon now. He can't even, he's not even with us. You know, that, that was their heart. That's where they're at. And the first thing the Lord tells them to do is what? Stay put. Stay put. No, Lord, no. Like, you were, told, you were supposed to tell us to run. 
You were saying you were going to make my feet fast like a deer and I was going to get out of here. That was your heart. No, stay. If you stay, I will plant you, I will build you, or excuse me, I will build you, I will plant you, I will save you, I will deliver you. Encouraging if you didn't see it in the situation. I want you to stay right where you witnessed your family die. I want you to stay right where you witnessed my judgment on you uh, because of your previous sins. I want you to stay right where you're at and wait. Wait for me to build you and to plant you. Wait for me to save you and deliver you. Take a step of faith. There's benefits to obedience, but obedience isn't always easy. It's just not. And right now, they're getting the first word from the Lord. Pick up with me in verses 13, and we'll stop at verse 18. But if you say, we will not dwell in this land, again, the if word is there, disobeying the voice of the Lord your God, saying, no, but we will go to the land of Egypt where we shall see no war, nor hear the sound of the trumpet, nor be hungry for bread, and there we will dwell. Then hear now the word of the Lord, O remnant of Judah. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, if you wholly set your faces to enter Egypt and go to dwell there, then it shall be that the sword which you feared shall overtake you there in the land of Egypt. The famine which you were afraid shall follow close after you there in Egypt, and you shall die. So it shall be with all the men who set their faces to go to Egypt, to dwell there. They shall die by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence, and none of them shall remain or escape from the disaster that I will bring upon them. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, as my anger and my fury have been poured out on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, remember Jerusalem was judged because of their sin. That's why Babylon came in the first place, to destroy them. So will my fury be poured out on you when you enter Egypt. You shall be an oath, an astonishment, a curse, and a reproach, and you shall see this place no more. And that's a big if. Okay, we go from one if, if you stay, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to build you, plant you, deliver you, and save you. Next if, if you leave, the things you run away from, this famine, this fear of the sword of death, this pestilence is all going to kill you in Egypt. The very thing you think you're running from will find you in Egypt. That's my promise to you if you disobey me. And don't think that I'm not, these are just free words. Look at what happened to Jerusalem the last time I promised judgment because of your sin. I'm here as a God speaking, trying to give you mercy and grace with my first if. If you stay, mercy and grace. Remember, they didn't even deserve to really be alive. You know, they, they, they survived the judgment of Jerusalem. They were already experiencing God's grace and mercy on their lives. And here he is again sharing, hey, I want to show you more. I want to give you not only life that you're living, but I want to give you the promise that I'm going to build you, I'm going to plant you, I'm going to save you, I'm going to deliver you. And so often we can read the, the Old Testament, we can be like, you know, the God of the Old Testament is kind of different from the God of the New Testament. He's a little more harsh. He's a little more straight judgment. There's not much grace. There's not much love. But I'm here to to help you with that opinion and hopefully change it if you hold to that. The God of the Bible is the God of the Bible, whether it's the Old Testament or the New Testament. And here we have a prime example of his love and his mercy still being poured out on this remnant that deserved judgment, this remnant that survived, this remnant that now was uh, under the crisis of being destroyed again by the same king that came the first time. And yet his answer is, if you obey me, if you stay, I will save you. 
I will deliver you. But if you disobey me, if you follow what's in your hearts to go to Egypt, my judgment's going to come against you. The very things that you're running from, you're going to suffer from. Not only that, you're going to be an example. You're going to be an astonishment. You're going to be an oath. Like people are going to say, I hope that I don't do this because look what happened to them. I don't want to be that. And God's trying to lay out this beautiful plan for them. You're like, well, that doesn't sound beautiful. I'm sorry, but the honesty of God, I will take that any day of the week over the confusion of the enemy. The honesty of God is so much better than the confusion of the enemy. For those of you who have been in that time of crisis and that time of fear and anxiety, it is some of the worst un easy times in your life. It's one of the most draining, emotionally wrecking, questionable. I mean, you can just, the list goes on and on and how it affects you. Ruins your day, ruins your family's day, ruins the people that are connected to you. You're just in this place of, I don't even want to live anymore. It's a horrible place to be. Yet the honesty of God is so much better than the confusion of the enemy. Here they're getting the pure, honest word from Jeremiah of what the Lord desires them to do. In 1 Peter 5, verse 7, we know that the Lord says, you know, cast all your care upon me because I care for you. And his heart for this group, this remnant, is say, hey, I know what you're going through and I have a plan, but I need you to stay. And I will warn you, if you do leave, this is what's going to happen. The very things that you're afraid of here are going to follow you. I find it interesting that if you look with me in verse 11, it says, do not be afraid of the king of Babylon, of whom you are afraid. Do not be afraid of him says the Lord, for I'm with you to save you and deliver you from his hand. Like the Lord is, is trying to communicate. It, it's, it's one of those awesome things about a God who wants to be intimate with us, a God who desires relationship with us. He comes to them, he says, I know you're afraid of the king of Babylon. I'm gonna tell you, don't be afraid. You're like, Lord, but I can't not be afraid. I know you're afraid and I'm telling you, don't be afraid. You know why? Because I'm gonna save and deliver you. You know, he's not just telling him, trust me, I know better, that's it. No, he's going directly to the heart of the problem. I know you're afraid of the king of Babylon. I know you're afraid of this government that was just put in place because of my judgment towards you. I know that you're afraid that your rebellion is going to cause death, but I don't want you to be afraid. You're like, Lord, how how am I not afraid? Because he always follows it up with a promise, because I'm going to save you and I'm going to deliver you. And that promise is only as powerful as your faith in the God you believe in. Your faith is only as powerful as the time you spend to get to know the God who loves you. It's really hard to believe someone if you don't have a relationship with them. You know, for you married uh, spouses, you know, if you didn't talk to your spouse, I love this example because it makes sense. I just imagine in my own family, my own household, if my parents stopped talking uh, for three weeks, not even three weeks, let's just say they talked with each other for five minutes a day for three weeks, it would be a really strained relationship. You know, that would not be a fun house to live in. You, know, you need more than five minutes with your spouse for you married couples. And you need five minutes at least with the God who loves you, if not way more. Yet some of you don't even get in the word once during your day. And I know I've been guilty of that. And I can stand before you and say that's just pure pride. You know, it's the same pride that causes me to lean on my own understanding in Proverbs 3, uh, chapter excuse me, yeah, chapter 3, verse 5. It's the, same problem, it's the same pride, it's the same problem that causes me to reject the Lord's plan for my life and to entertain that thought of going to Egypt. It's pride. You know, it's this lack of faith that I might have a better plan than God. 
I, I might know what's best. Egypt looks pretty good. There's no famine. There's no war. If I stick around here, I'm waiting for war. There's already a famine in the land. Things don't look good. But if I leave, it makes sense. It's logical. Let me just tell you something real quick. Your logic, your best wisdom ever is still the worst compared to God's plan for your life. It's just the truth. And some of you really, I mean, I know for me, um, it was convicting because there's so many things in my life that I do according to my wisdom or my logic. You know, there's so many things I do on a daily basis that I'm not seeking the Lord. I know better, Lord. I've done this before. And that's not how we can live life. That's not how we can go about our daily duties. And for them, they're challenged here with the two ifs. If you stay, if you reject your idea in chapter 41, verse 17 of going to Egypt, and if you stay, you fight your fear, you put your trust in me, I will save and deliver you. I will plant and build you. But if you continue to go with what's in your heart, if you go with your plan, the plan without me, because some of you are like, man, I like plans. Like, I do plans all the time. And I'm, I, I'm a planner too. I like those as well. But it's dangerous to have a plan without God involved. You're like, no, 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 God's involved. Like, I prayed about it. <laughs> We're going to see right now, even in their own hearts, this group, what was really in their hearts when they came to Jeremiah. As the title says behind me, right? Words, wrong, heart. Pick up with me in verse 18. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, as my anger and my fury have been poured out on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so will my fury be poured out on you when you enter Egypt, and you shall be an oath, an astonishment, a curse, and a reproach, and you shall see this place no more. In verse 19, the Lord has said concerning you, O remnant of Judah, do not go to Egypt. Know certainly that I have admonished you this day. And here's verse 20, for you were hypocrites. In your hearts, when you sent me to the Lord your God, saying, Pray for us to the Lord our God, and according to all that the Lord your God says, so declare to us, and we will do it. We'll pause there real quick. Verse 20 is a pretty eye opening verse. Before they even got to Jeremiah and said, Jeremiah, seek the Lord, Jeremiah's saying, You guys were hypocrites in your hearts. And so often we do the same thing with our prayer life Lord, what do you want me to do with my life? What direction do you want me to do with this decision? And in our minds, we've already made up our mind. And we try to justify it by saying, no, I prayed about it. I went to the Lord and everything looks good. Like he didn't, put a, he didn't shut the door on me, so I just walked right through it. And really, the door's always been shut. You've never asked God. You haven't even, you're not even in front of the door. You just went the other way. You went to a totally different direction because you've trusted, you've set up this plan with your own logic. You're like, but I, I, read, the, I read the word. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm spending time with him. These people knew God. They had Jeremiah in their lives before all of this. And they come to him and said, what, what are we supposed to do? But in their hearts, they, we're going to Egypt. Like we're just doing this as a, as a, a, you know, a step, a routine. You know, we're doing this because it, it, it seems right. You know, if we got God's stamp of approval, we're good to go. Now we really know Egypt's the place to be. And even in verse, I believe it was in verse 6, Yeah, whether it is pleasing or displeasing. They even throw that in there. I think that's the most dangerous thing to say because they got the answer that was displeasing to them. They got the answer that they didn't want to hear. 
And the Lord gives Jeremiah this spiritual insight saying, they never wanted to hear from me in the beginning. And sometimes as believers, we get in that same place. We go to God in our routine. We come to church in our routine with our Bibles. We worship, we sing the songs, but we have no intention to truly hear from the Lord what he might want to speak to us. We are doing it out of routine so that we can continue living our lives in the flesh, but say, hey, my box is checked. The Lord's in my life. I went to church. It's all good. You know, my, my plan, my way is all good because the Lord checked it off. I went to church. I heard from him and I didn't hear anything that would, you know, sway me from my decision. For these guys that came and the Lord gave them a specific word, like some of you are getting tonight, you can't just ignore God. You can't just continue in your routines. You have to go to him with a heart of humility. You got to leave your pride at the door. You got to come with this idea of Proverbs chapter three, verses five and six. I'll keep saying it so that you guys can put it in your memory verse if you haven't already committed it to memory. But since you know it's not good to lean on your own understanding. It's not good to let the Lord take a back seat to your plans. We have to acknowledge him in all our ways. So what? So he can direct our paths. Because like I said before, his plan is the best plan that is ever going to be made for your life. And it's up to you to choose if you're going to walk in it. You're like, well, I, I've just been wanting to know that. I've just been wanting to have that plan presented to me. Like, I just want the Lord, like, I wish I could be a robot and the Lord would just direct me. That's all I want. And the Lord says, I have the plan for you. You just have to be willing to seek it. I've given you a word. I've given you my word. I've given you time to pray. I've given you time to, to seek counsel by going to church with a heart that's open. I even have this great worship team that'll lead you, that'll soften your heart, that'll get your ears attentive, bring you into my presence because I don't want you to be a robot. I want to have a relationship with you. I've given you freedom. I've given you the choice. I've given you the if. Said you can choose me and enjoy the blessings of being planted, being built, being delivered and saved by me in this troubled world. That's his heart for us. Now, I use it a lot, but Jeremiah 29, 11, you know, for the thoughts, I know the thoughts I think towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts with a future and a hope. A future and a hope from God the creator of the universe, the creator of your life. He desires to direct your paths. For these people, they come to Jeremiah with a hypocritical heart. And many times when we open this word for our devos in the morning, when we go and sit down to pray, when we enter this building, we come with a hypocritical heart. We're doing all the right things, but it's out of routine. We're doing all the right things with no intention of changing the direction of our life. And for them, they're at this pinnacle place of hearing the Lord's answer for their question and now having a choice. Pick up with me in verse 21. It says uh, from Jeremiah, and I have this day declared it to you, but you have not obeyed the voice of the Lord your God or anything which he has sent you by me. Now, therefore, know certainly that you shall die by the sword, by famine and by pestilence in the place where you desire to go to dwell. Verse one of chapter 43. Now it happened when Jeremiah had stopped speaking to all the people, all the words of the Lord their God, for which the Lord their God had sent him to them all these words. Big mouthful, Jeremiah stopped speaking everything that the Lord told him to speak. In verse two, that Azariah, the son of Hoshaiah, Johanan, the son of Korea. 
And all the proud men spoke, saying to Jeremiah, you speak falsely. The Lord our God has not sent you to say, do not go to Egypt to dwell there. But Beirut, the son of Neriah, has set you against us to deliver us into the hand of the Chaldeans, also known as the Babylonians, that they may put us to death or carry us away captive to Babylon. So Johanan and the, the son of Kariah, all the captains of the forces, and all the people would not obey the voice of the Lord to remain in the land of Judah. But Johanan, the son of Kariah, and all the captains of the forces, in verse 5, took all the remnant of Judah who, was, who had returned to dwell in the land of Judah from all the nations where they had been driven, men, women, children, the king's daughters, and every person whom Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, had left with Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, the son of Shephan, uh, and Jeremiah the prophet, and Baruch the son of Neriah. So they went to the land of Egypt, for they did not obey the voice of the Lord, and they went as far as Taphanes. <clears throat> Excuse me. They come to this place where they're given the truth of God. It doesn't sit well with them. And like many of us, when we hear something that we don't like to hear, when it's so direct and pointed and so heart-cutting, like we know the Word of God says it's going to cut through the bone and marrow. Like it's going to cut through the heart. It's going to pierce the heart. It's a, it's a double-edged sword. When we hear those things, we have a choice to be obedient or do what this remnant of Judah did. And what they did was they decided to create their own reality. Obviously, what we just heard right now is fake. Jeremiah, you're a liar. There's no way in the world that what you just told us is from the Lord. Can't be, tr- it's not possible. It's not possible. You're wrong. And so often in order for us to justify our sin, we have to leave reality. We have to deny the truth. We have to separate ourselves from the truth of God's word. When conviction comes, we have to justify our sin when we're not okay with humbling ourselves before the mighty hand of God. See, in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, it, before you get to 5, 7, there's 5, 6. And it tells you, please humble yourself before the mighty hand of God so that in due time, he can care for you. Cast all your cares upon him for he cares for you. Let's actually turn there and read it just so that we have that on there because I know that I didn't fully quote that correctly. But it's there. I studied it. I know. Trust me. 1 Peter 5, verse 6, it says, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Verse 7, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. See, there's a key before you get to enjoy what it feels like to cast your care upon the Lord, right? Because you'll never cast your care upon the Lord unless you come to a place where you realize you can't handle the cares of your world. Where you realize that you can't handle it, so you have to give it to a God who can. But before you can do that, you have to humble yourself. You have to admit that the plan for your life, the one that you've made up apart from God, is not going to work for you. You have to admit that the one that the Lord has commanded you to do, no matter how hard it is, stay in this land, the land that you feel you're going to die in because of this rebellion you've been caught up in, stay in it. No, Lord, that's not possible. We're going to die. They're coming for us. No, if you stay, I'm going to plant, I'm going to build, I'm going to deliver and save you. No, that can't be true. Nope, it just can't be true. That's a heart of pride. That's just what it is. And so often we do that exact same thought process. You're like, no, I don't do that. We do. 
When we go to the Word without the heart of, Lord, how are you going to speak to me today? If we even go to the Word to start our day. If we even give God the time He deserves, the time He warrants as our Creator, as our Lord and Savior, to speak to us. When we don't give Him that time, it's a pride move on our part, saying, Lord, I don't need you to speak into my life today. Yesterday went great. I didn't need you then. Why would I need you now? And yeah, you know, I don't, I'm not looking at a room of like, we just want to rebel against God. Like, I know that's not the room I'm looking at. But so often we do unintentionally by the actions that we plan without the Lord. And you're like, man, that's like heavy. That's like convicting. Yeah, it was. It was for me when I was reading this a couple weeks ago. You know, when I, when I started down this path of studying, I was like, man, Lord, like how many areas of my life do I leave you out because I think I have it handled? You know, how many areas am I doing my own thing and missing out on the opportunity that you set before us? Because that opportunity is found in what Jeremiah was doing for the people. He was a vessel for the Lord to speak the truth of God into the lives of others. When we are not in fellowship with the Lord, when we're not giving him the time he deserves, the time he warrants as our king, as our savior, we limit our usefulness to him in the lives of those around us. As believers, we're called to reach this world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But if you're not allowing him to speak and, and mold into your life, you're, you're limiting yourself from being used in that way, a great way. For sure, Jeremiah went through it. You know, as a prophet, he went through a lot of things speaking for the Lord. You know, again, just a couple chapters before, he was in a cistern, you know, where they kept water. It was muddy. He was sitting there for who knows how long. I think it actually says it, but I didn't do an in-depth study, so I'm not going to misquote again. But he was in there suffering because of his calling to speak truth. And for us, we don't even get that far. We don't even get to suffer for the Lord because we're not spending time with him that we need to sharpen us. You know, because people come to you. You know, you're a pretty good person. People are like, man, I wonder what so-and-so has to say about this. They come to you, hey, what do you think? You know, this is what's going on in my family. And you tell them, you're like, well, this is my opinion. And uh, you're like, well, I go to church, you know, I'm, I'm saved, so it must be from the Lord. But we don't know that if you're not spending time with the Lord. And I can tell you right now, the things that come to your mouth, the Lord may give, you, may give you grace, and you may have a word perfectly for that. And he may just totally show you mercy and grace. You don't deserve it. You haven't been spending time with the Lord, but he just does, and he gives you that word. But most of the time, the Lord allows you just to speak what's on your heart. You have the if, you have the if choice. There's free will in a relationship with the Lord. And I can tell you right now, we'll be more effective when we spend more time with the Lord. We'll be more effective when we're seeking him daily. We'll be more effective when we allow him to renew our minds. The word commands us to crucify our flesh daily. You know why? Because our flesh is ready to go daily. It is just waiting for an opportunity to show itself in our lives. There's a battle spiritually going on. We're saved. We're victorious. The battle is ours. But there is still a continual battle for who you're going to serve today. Well, I'm the Lord's. Are you acting like you're the Lord's? Well, I can tell you, you will be if you're walking with him. You will be if you have that awareness of Christ on your life. I can tell you that you won't be like these hypocrites who came and said, we want to hear from the Lord. But in reality, their hearts weren't there. Pick up with me in, in verse uh, 40, excuse me, uh, chapter 43, verse 2. I just want to point this out as we close. 
It says, Azariah the son of Hoshaiah, Johanan the son of Korea, and all the proud men spoke, saying to Jeremiah, you speak falsely. And it's really key, and I love the fact that they include that word, but all the proud men. And it's a perfect picture of how our pride separates us from the Lord. However, our God is still gracious, he's still loving, and he's still merciful. You know how I know this? Because the Lord knew their hearts even before they came to ask Jeremiah, what should we do? Even before they played the part of the hypocrite, the Lord knew where their hearts were at. And I believe personally that that 10 days was maybe even more of a buffer, more mercy on the Lord's part to give them 10 days to think about how they're going to respond. For us, the Lord is continually desiring that we would have the best relationship we possibly can have with him. He desires to give you the blessings and lavish on you the gifts and the love that he so desires to show you. But he still gives you a choice. He still gives you that choice, the if. If you're willing to take a step of faith, if you're willing to believe when I say fellowship with me, spend time with me, that it's going to benefit your life, then you're going to get all these blessings and I'm going to use you and it's just going to be a sweet relationship. But if you decide to go your own way, you think you can live life without me, then this is going to happen. Our word tells us what happens when we're not fellowshiping with the Lord. Like we know as believers, we are knowledgeable. We understand. When we're not allowing the Holy Spirit to indwell us, we're more prone to sin. We're more prone to stumbling. We're more prone to, to allowing, you know, I think of a great example was King David. The guy was an amazing king until he wasn't walking with the Lord. Then he murdered someone. He committed adultery. The list goes on. The Lord wants to do an amazing thing in your life, but he doesn't want to stop. He wants to keep going until you get to enjoy him in heaven. But it's up to us. We have the choice. I really enjoy knowing that our Lord has a heart of love towards us where he's willing to tell us the hard things. I really enjoy the fact that he understands that we're just dust and we're going to make mistakes. And again, I'm not um, trying to say, well, come on, guys, get your act together. No, I'm in the same boat. I'm like sitting right there with you and someone else is saying this. When I read this chapter, I realized that the same things I get to share with you tonight are the same things the Lord's trying to speak to me in my own heart. They're convicting, they're challenging, but they're things we already know as believers. They're things we're already familiar with. If I came up here and, and, and brought this message to just one sentence, God is God and you are not, you guys would totally understand what I'm talking about. God is God and you're not. God is the one that directs your paths. You are not the one that directs your paths. God's plan is the best plan. True. Your plan is not the best plan, especially without God. And it's just truth. That's the same thing. However, we get this visual in the word because our God loves us. And he says, if you spend time with me, I'm going to reveal these things to you that you might be reminded so that you can live the best life I have intended for you on this earth so that you don't have to suffer. So you don't have to be like this remnant that's going to go to Judah or that's going to go to Egypt and die from the very things that they were afraid of. They had their chance and they still go to Egypt anyways. For us, we have our chance. And for those of you who needed to hear this tonight, the Lord is giving you another if. If you will turn to me, if you will humble yourself, then I will and the list goes on of blessings 
the Lord desires to do in our life. Leadership, it was once said that leadership is 99% defining reality and the rest is just life happening, right? 99% is defining reality as a leader. For me, when I try to define my own reality, I end up like these people. It's a lie. It's fake. It's not true. It can't be. It doesn't flow with my plan. When I define that reality, I live in a lie. It's plain and simple. When I allow the Lord to be the leader of my life, I get the truth. That truth represents sometimes things that are hard, sometimes things that make me uncomfortable, but nonetheless, it's the truth. And I would rather take the truth than a lie any day of the week. I say that to you now standing here, but when I was examining my life, reading this chapter a few weeks ago, I could say, man, there was a day I, didn't, I wasn't doing that then on Tuesday. I wasn't doing that then on Friday. And the Lord said, hey, grace and mercy is available to you. Start doing it today. Done. All right, Lord, let's do this. I'll take this as a learning lesson and I'll move forward with you. As we close, I want to point out one last verse. It's in verse 13. And we'll move on to 14. It says, in chapter 42, excuse me, of Jeremiah. It says, but if you say we will not dwell in the land, disobeying the voice of the Lord your God, saying no, but we will go into the land of Egypt where we shall see no war, no, nor hear the tr- sound of the trumpet, nor be hungry for bread, and there we will dwell. Those two verses are key. And I'm going to end with this just as an admonishment and as a warning. And, and for those of you who need to hear this, so often we have this set plan of how life is going to be because of our past experiences. Again, it's a pride thing where we're, we're relying on ourselves. But here is this, this point where they've come to this conclusion that we're not going to dwell in the land. We're going to disobey the Lord because we know that we're going to go somewhere where there's no war. No, we know. We know this to be fact. And for us, we have to guard our hearts in this place where we're not willing to die for a lie, but instead live for the truth, no matter how hard it might seem. Staying in the land was a hard thing. And for you, you're faced with a tough decision, a really hard one, but you know it's the truth. You know it's from the Lord. You just have to make it in obedience to him. Why? Because there's blessings to obedience and there's consequences for disobedience. It's the truth. There's no way of getting around it. You can change your reality. You could choose to say, no, this is a lie. You can pick and choose what you want. But the truth is the truth. It's so dangerous not to allow our hearts to be self-deceived, not to justify these areas of compromise, not to spiritualize some type of decision that's not from the Lord. It's just your flesh. It's better to enjoy this place of communion with the Lord, walking alongside him, so that you can be used as a vessel like Jeremiah to speak truth in the lives of those who are lost. Because if you're worried about anything else, the cares of this world, you're missing the point of why you're alive. You're alive to share the glory and the love and the care and the compassion and the grace of Jesus with those who are around you who have yet to know. That's our focus and that's our heart. But it's really easy to get pulled into this world system, the culture that we live in specifically, to get so wrapped up in the, our plans, our family, our life. But it's all about God. What you have today is because God has a plan for you to bring more people to get to know him. 
We're nothing without him. Our best plans are the worst. And I, I hate saying that because my flesh hates saying that. My flesh says, no, like you went to school, you've been through a lot, you read the word, you've read it enough, you know, but I'll never know enough to be better than God. That's the truth. We'll never know enough to be better than God. So instead of creating this false reality, instead of calling out lies when they're not lies, let's submit today as a church so that we might go out and be more effective as a community of believers that represent him. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. Even the hard ones, Lord, even with the, the things that challenge us to examine our hearts, Lord, we thank you that you're a God who even has this in your word, that we can hear this. Lord, I thank you that you care enough about us not to leave us where we're at. Lord, I'm thankful that you desire to speak to us. Lord, I'm thankful that you're an active God. You're not passive. Lord, I thank you that even standing here as a believer, knowing I'm saved, I get to know that you want to save me daily. It's a continual saving. Not that I lose my salvation every day, Lord, but the fact that you want me to live the best life I can in your presence. And it all starts by coming to a place of humility and allowing you to lead. Lord, I pray for those listening, you know, on Grace FM and watching this in the future. And I even pray for some of us here, Lord, that, that aren't in that lifestyle, that aren't willing to sacrifice our wants or our plans. I pray, Lord, that you would soften our hearts, that you reveal to us those things that we're doing in the flesh so that we might get back on track with you and the plan that you have set before us. And tonight I want to um, hear in this sanctuary, if you're someone that you're not even at this point, you don't even have a relationship with the Lord. Like, you know, I, I'm, I'm here and, and I can say like the Lord has a plan for my life, but for you, you're like, I don't even have this relationship with the Lord yet. And you're, you're, you're here because you're interested or you're here because you want to know. I want to tell you the Lord has a plan for your life. And it's to have this intimate relationship with the God of the creator universe, the God of, of true love, the God of mercy and grace. He wants to commune with you. He wants to know you. He wants to lead you and guide you. He wants to help you in your time of crisis, in your time of fear, your time of anxiety. Not that they'll go away as soon as you jump into the arms of God. You'll still have your issues and your problems, but you'll have direction. You'll have a direct word from the Lord through his word, through his time of prayer and him speaking to you. He desires to give you this relationship that you don't have yet. And if that's you tonight, I would like for you to stand so we can pray with you. I would like you to stand so that I can give you this access, this opportunity to receive the Lord as your relationship, as your Lord and Savior through this relationship. If that's you, I would love for you to stand. Amen. In addition to that, if you're a believer today and you just like, man, this word was just a heavy one and you knew it was for you. You just understood that, man, there's a lot of pride in my life. There's a lot going on that I need to just submit and be humble. If that's you and you just need prayer that the Lord would come in and help you so that he doesn't have to humble you but instead you're willing to be humbled tonight by just standing up and saying, I need more of the Lord to guide me. I've been doing it in my flesh and justifying it. I've been lying to myself, 
as a believer, just stand up so we can pray for you too. Amen. It's so important to come to this place of humility. Whether we have a walk with the Lord and we need one, we need to recognize that we need one, like our new brother in the back, or whether we're already a believer and we've been doing it in our own strength, justifying, walking in hypocrisy, we need it. And humility starts with this stand. Humility starts with this admittance that that is where I've been, Lord, and I don't wanna be there again. I had to take this similar stand with you guys. And I have to check my heart daily to make sure I don't have to continually stand and, and add this, admit this to the Lord. But this humility is key so that he can guide us in the way he desires to because his plan is the best plan. And that's where we need to be, on our knees, allowing him to lead. So let's pray. For, for our brother in the back, I want to pray with you a specific prayer that I'm going to pray for those who are standing that are our believers. If you would just repeat after me. Heavenly Father, I recognize that I am a sinner in need of a Savior. I thank you, God, for your son, Jesus Christ, that came and died and rose again three days later to show that he had power over my sin and the consequence of death. I repent, which means I turn away, Lord, from my sins, these mistakes against you, that I might experience your love, your grace, and a relationship with you that you're offering to me. Lord, I ask for your forgiveness, and I receive your acceptance and your love, your mercy and your grace. Give me the strength to walk with you and not away from you. In Jesus' name, amen. For those of you who are standing who need uh, just this time to really be a monument and a milestone for you to, this is a time of humbling, I want to lead you in a prayer as well. And it'll just be a simple one. Dear Heavenly Father, I know I'm prideful. I know I take my life in my own hands too many times. And I ask, Lord, that you would humble me in a way, Lord, that is by your grace and mercy. Because I desire to walk with you, Lord. I don't desire to live in a lie, but instead take advantage of the truth that you've given me, that your plan is best. Give me the strength to obey you, Lord, even when it's hard. Give me the faith, Lord, to submit to you even when I don't want to. And give me the faith, Lord, to reject my understanding in order to acknowledge you in all my ways. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.